everyone, you're listening to Ed Young Radio, Ed Pastors Fellowship Church, and we want to thank you for listening with us. Today we hear a special message where Pastor Ed interviews world-renowned wrestler Ted DiBiase. Then we get to hear more from Ed as he equips us each with tools to fight in the ring of life. You can always hear more by visiting edyoung.com. Enjoy the message. Standing six feet three inches tall, weighing 260 pounds, he has 30 professional wrestling championships. He's a member of the WWE Hall of Fame. Let's stand to our feet at all campuses and welcome the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase. That includes you. That's right, sir. <laughs> Ted DiBiase is in the house. The million dollar man. Ted, welcome to fellowship. Look at that belt. Man. Have a seat, Ted. Ted, it is such an honor to have you. Well, it's a real pleasure to be, be here, Pastor. And, you, and, and again, I want to just say this in front of everybody. You guys have been so hospitable, well, so nice to us. My wife and I have had a blast. Well, well, thank you for being you. And I got a quick story about Ted. I told Ted this in the, in the, first, the first time we interviewed. The week we helped start Fellowship Church, 1990, I was in the DFW airport sitting in a terminal with a friend of mine. He goes, Ed, you're not going to believe this. There's the million dollar man. And I look, and there's Ted just <laughs> walking. And, and, and he's walking down the terminal. So I followed you at a distance because I was a little bit scared, a little bit intimidated. And you were nice enough because I finally came up to you and I tentatively said, Could I have a picture, Mr. DiBiase? You said, Yes, yes. And so we, I have the picture somewhere, but anyway. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm sure glad I was nice. <laughs> yes. We all have our moments. We do. Uh, but ser- seriously, I was, I've always tried to be that way with the fans. What's funny is like, I would go, I, I would get out of a limousine and walk into the building, right? Yes. And there'd be kids there, you know, cussing me and all that other stuff and throwing stuff at me. The same kids after the show would find out where we're staying. They'd be in the lobby of the hotel with an autograph pad. <laughs> That's so don't so I know you? <laughs> yes. Well, Ted, tell us a little bit about how you got into wrestling because you are a household name, one of the top wrestlers ever. How did it happen for you? Wrestling's been a part of my entire life. Uh, I was raised by a stepfather who came into my life when I was five, Mike DiBiase, son of Italian immigrants, was not only a pro wrestler, but was a, uh, an amateur wrestler with a storied career, University of Nebraska, lettered there eight times, four years football, four wrestling, three years conference heavyweight wrestling champion, and a man who uh, had a great influence on my life. Mm-hmm. Of course, the one thing my dad never wanted me to do was be a wrestler. <laughs> I grew up and figured that out, yeah. you know, but uh, the things that he instilled in me, I, I lost him when I was 15 years old. Wow. He suffered a heart attack, 45 years old, and he's oh. gone. I moved back to Wilcox, Arizona, three traffic lights. That's where I was when he came into my life with my grandmother. Uh And 
you know, I'm in this little town. I've got hopes and dreams of college professional football going, man, can my dreams come true here? But my dad always told me, he said, son, he said, don't follow the crowd. Don't do what everybody else is doing. That's easy. He said, be the head, not the tail. Be a leader, not a follower. And he says, if you're willing to work hard, you can be anything you want to be in life. And so I held on to that. And I had a very strong childlike faith, which carried me through watching my mother then sink into despair and alcoholism. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, but, but the things that my father had instilled in me stuck. So I'm the first kid to graduate from this little school in Southern Arizona with a full scholarship to play Division I college football, went to West Texas State University. Yes, sir. It's amazing the number of wrestlers That's right. that came out of this college, largely due to a famous wrestling family there, the Funk family. But so everything's good now, I, but I get to college. Now God's blessed me with all the things that I prayed about. And it's almost as if I said, gee, thanks, Lord. I appreciate all the help. I'll take it from here. Whoa. The, so that was like the downslide starts. I, I just become very worldly. You know, my pride, my ego took over in my life. Uh, uh, failed marriage, first time around, six years, divorced with a child. And then I met Melanie in Atlanta, Georgia. Christian girl comes into my life. We fall in love. We get married. And this is where I really start my journey back to God. We began to attend a non-denominational church on the campus of LSU because I was staying in Baton Rouge, chapel on the campus. First time I answered an altar call. Huh. Well, the one thing I didn't do after that altar call was race down to the, the, the Christian bookstore, buy the Bible and dive in and get into the relationship. Right. What I try to tell everybody all the time is for the longest time I had what I call an intellectual relationship with God. I have believed the gospel message most of my life. But the difference between heaven and hell, I tell people, is about 18 inches. It's moving everything you know about Jesus from here to here. Because mm. when it gets here, when it gets in your heart, it has no choice but to start coming out of your life. Excellent. And that process really started, again, I walked the aisle. I walked the aisle a second time. And I make that decision again, and my pastor, says to me, he said, Ted, he says, God's planted a seed in your life. He says, nurture the seed. He says, because the devil will come quickly now to try to pluck the seed before it has time to take root and grow. Right. So what he encouraged me to do was, you know, get in the Bible, get into the relationship, yes. surround myself with godly men, get a two or three guys that you can be accountable That's to. That's so important, Ted. With no accountability. He, he said, Ted, he says, if you're not accountable, it's not a question of if you'll fall, it's just a question of when. That's right. And so I gave all of these things lip service, but he did say, he says, because the devil will come quickly now to pluck the seed. Within a month, I get the greatest, you know, greatest break in my wrestling career. And Vince McMahon calls me. And the next thing, you know, I'm going to the WWF as it was known then. And not only that, then he gives me this character, the million dollar man, who's like, you know, Ebenezer Scrooge of wrestling, <laughs> but he says in an effort to market the character, we're going to travel, you're going to fly first class everywhere, you'll have limousine service every day, you'll stay at only first class hotels, <laughs> it was a tough job that somebody had to do. Oh. <laughs> but I mean, whirly, 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 and I fell right into line, and, and, and what, what my pastor said would happen is exactly what happened, and I did fall, and uh, you know, I fell right into line with the other guys, and the, the turning point of my life was in March of 92, just after WrestleMania 8, when uh, my wife confronted me with a list of things that I had been doing that I shouldn't be doing. And um, it, was a, it was a breaking point in my life because 
it's like God gave me a, a snapshot of my life and said, I was here for you when your dad died. I was here for you then. I was here for you then. He said, you know what? I'm still here for you. And wow. if I would turn my life over to him, and it was like I, I finally hit the wall because I had everything I thought I ever wanted. But in reality, what did I have that was worth anything? Because there was no integrity. There was no strength of character. Exactly. And I wasn't being the priest in my own home. And, but at that point, and when my wife forgave me, it's the greatest expression of Christ-like mercy I've ever experienced. And it was a catapult. I mean, I, I, I said, give me this chance and I promise I'll become the man you th thought you married. I'll become the spiritual leader in my home and God, one, one day uh, you'll, you know, you'll love and trust me again. And uh, she's sitting right here with me. Wow, and, would you stand? Uh, and she is, Let's uh, give her yeah. a fellowship welcome. 36 years. And, uh, but I, you know, I never imagined in my wildest dream that that would one day turn to ministry. Two years later, and again, at, at another pastor in my life, uh, Hal, who's my best friend now, he said, Ted, he says, there are going to be a lot of pastors with all the best intentions find out you're, you know, you're saved and they're going to want you to share their, your story with them. And he said, I just want to caution you, you're a baby Christian. Mm -hmm. And he said, Ted, you know what babies do sometimes? And I said, what, Hal? He said, sometimes they poop their pants. <laughs> that was a nice way. And I said, okay, uh -huh. I, I get it. Give myself time to grow. Yes. And so I didn't go until he said, I think you're ready. Well, that was came like a, a snowball rolling downhill. The more I went, the more I, I was invited. And then my, my uh, knowledge of scripture began to grow and it just kept growing. And I mean, now I've been in full-time evangelism for 19 years. And, Excellent. Uh, uh, and Ted, you have, I know, a great documentary. Talk to us about your documentary and where can we get that? Uh, the documentary is called The Price of Fame. It's available on iTunes and Amazon. It's the story of my life uh, and in greater detail. That's powerful. The Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase. Let's give him another standing ovation. Ted, thank you, my brother. Awesome. Ted DiBiase. The annoying chirp of a smoke alarm. I think you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Those smoke alarms will wear you out. I heard the chirping, grabbed a chair, tried to reach this demonic device, couldn't do it. Then I found a step stool, that didn't work. Finally, Lisa said, honey, how about the ladder? She, of course, was right and is right. I got the ladder, and the ladder allowed me to unscrew this device, take it down, and fix it. A ladder. There's really nothing like a ladder. Everyone owns a ladder. Ladders take us from point A to point B. They help us reach and get to another level. A ladder. A ladder. You might be thinking, well, why are you bringing up ladders, Ed? Ladders in church? Well, I'm glad you're asking that question because ladders, we're going to find out, really matter. They do. Most of us own ladders, and ladders are great. We utilize ladders, but 
I want you to think about a ladder today, maybe like you've never thought about one before, because God is going to teach us something about a ladder. And it has to do with sort of wrestling with a ladder. I'm in a series called Wrestling. Last week, we started talking about a guy named Jacob, and we discovered that Jacob was and is a wrestler. Well, today, we're going to find out that Jacob wrestled with a ladder. There are all sorts of different matches in wrestling. There's the first blood match. There's the empty arena match. There's the last man standing match. There's the tag team match. There's a TV time limit match. There's also a ladder match. Is that hilarious? A ladder match. Jacob is going to have a wrestling match with a ladder and Maybe, just maybe, it's a wrestling match that you're having as well. I would suggest that a lot of us here and at our different locations are having a wrestling match with and over a ladder. Well, the first part of Jacob's story, and I'm going to run through this really, really quick. Genesis chapter 28, you might want to turn there. That's the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 28. And then later on, I'm going to turn to John chapter 1. But right now, Genesis chapter 28. Notice this sudden departure from Jacob. His family had blown up. His family, they were totally out of control. His life was a disaster. Now you ask why. And maybe you're like, okay, I come from a dysfunctional family. My family is a disaster. My marriage is a disaster. I'm a single parent and my kids, I'm just trying to to make ends meet. It's a disaster. And I know what you're saying. Well, Jacob's family was a disaster. His, His dad was totally wheels off. His mother, highly manipulative. His brother just shook his fist in the face of God. Jacob, though, was no choir boy, stole the Merrill Lynch trust fund pretty much from his brother. His brother was so mad at Jacob, he put a hit out on him. Try that on. So here you got Jacob leaving home and and, and his problem, his disaster was twofold. Number one, the reason he was facing this this disaster was the sins of others in his family. He, He was definitely a victim. Also, he had messed up as well. I find it interesting, people say, oh man, what someone does in private, man, that doesn't influence or affect anything else. Okay, I understand that. We need to respect others' privacy. However, what we do in private inevitably leaks out and affects others. Talk to the addict who gets high. Oh man, I'm just getting high. I'm just doing this heroin. I'm just, I'm just taking this prescription medication. It doesn't influence or affect anybody else. Really? How about when you get behind the wheel of a car? Oh man, watching porn. I mean, I'm on this road trip. I'm married. I mean, it's no big deal. Really? It's just a private thing. Do you know how many marriages end up in the deep weeds because pornography? 
So to sit there and say, well, hey, what I do, you know, off the stage really doesn't matter. Oh, no, no, it does matter. And Jacob can tell you that. So he was in a disastrous situation. Also, he had a death sentence. His brother, who was a skilled bow hunter, was going to take him out. So no wonder he's leaving home. And on top of that, it got very dark because the Bible says that Jacob left his home and he began by himself a 400-mile road trip to a place called Haran. As he's on his way, he'd been, what, a couple of days on this, on this journey. Don't you know he's thinking, man, I am such an idiot. I can't believe I ripped my brother off. I lied to my father. I, I mean, I can't believe it. Have you ever had conversations with yourself like that before? I have. Swimming those laps of regret, running those stadium stairs of guilt and shame. I'm pathetic. Ed, why did you say that? You're so stupid. I wish I could, I wish I could take a mulligan on that one. I wish I could do that over. We, we've all had those conversations. And you know our boy Jacob was saying that. Well, then scripture says, after he had faced this disaster and left, after he understood he was you know, under a death sentence, the Bible says it became dark. I mean, you're out in the middle of nowhere. And he was outside of this town called Luz, L-U-Z. Say Luz with me. Luz. Luz means separation from God. That's what the name means. So he's outside of Luz, and he's like, man, I'm not going to go and hang out with those Luzians because these people are crazy, man. So he decides to take a nap, well, to sleep, really, in the wilderness. Hey, have you ever been in a, in, a, in, a, in a spot that's so dark you literally couldn't see your hand in front of your face? Years ago, my son and I went to the Yucatan Peninsula, and we stayed in this little house in the middle of the jungle. The generator would go out at 8 p.m., and literally, it was so dark. I was like, EJ, I can't see my hand in front of my face. It was that dark. The Bible says when we turn away from God, we'll end up living in darkness. We'll end up facing death. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. The Bible says we'll end up in disaster. So often God uses those things as we depart to reveal himself to us. But man, Jacob, he's in a tough situation. And it's so difficult. Notice this next part of his life. He has this supernatural dream. I mean, he has a dream that's one of the most famous dreams in the history of dreaming. But, 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 but before that, he finds a rock. Are you ready for this? And the rock out in the wilderness becomes his pillow. And here's what the Bible says. When we run away from God, this is an amazing verse. Proverbs 13, 15 says, the way of transgressors is, say it with me, hard. What do we say? Oh, I've hit rock bottom. My marriage is on the rocks. I tell you, in this business situation, I'm between a rock and a hard place. That's really all the world can offer us. A rock. 
cold, hard, discomfort. It's much more difficult to live away from God than it is to live for God. It's easier to be a follower of Christ than it is to turn your back on him and to face your disaster and this, this death and this, and this darkness. But our boy Jacob, man, he's like, he's like chilling. He's like, man, I gotta sleep and I'll just use this rock as a pillow while he goes to sleep. And he has this dream. And this dream is absolutely crazy. So get ready. I mean, this is a, this is a wild dream. It's almost like if you're watching Netflix, for example, you're scrolling through the movies or whatever, and you look, Rotten Tomatoes, this or that, and you go, okay, I've never seen it. I'm going to click on preview and preview. And it gives you a, like a quick, you know, preview, a little synopsis of the movie. Well, well God gave him a little, a little preview of what heaven looked like and what his life looked like and what your life and mine looks like as well. Genesis chapter 28, verse 12, he had a dream. And he saw a stairway, read here, a ladder, you know, with rungs on it, resting on its earth. So positionally, it was right in front of him as he slept. And the payload was pretty awesome because it carried a bunch of angels. The Bible says, with the top reaching to heaven and with angels who were ascending and descending. I mean, that's a, that's a serious ladder. Up and down, up and down. So he's asleep. The rock is a pillow. He sees a ladder in front of him. This is crazy. And we're going to find out the Lord was at the top of the ladder. Angels ascending and descending right in front of him. Do you realize the Bible says if we could see, like God sees, we would see angels all over the place? The Bible says that you have a guardian angel, so do I. The Bible says, for example, Hebrews, uh, in Hebrews, is it chapter 1, verse 14, I believe? I can't read it because I've marked over that. What is that? There we go. Thank you. Hebrews chapter 1, 14. See, I have a little mark on it, and I'm marked right by the, anyway, that's okay. Hebrews 1, 14, it says, are not all angels, let's say this word together, ministering spirits sent to serve those who inherit salvation. So they help carry out the will of God. And when you die and I die, those of us who are followers of Christ, they carry us to heaven. So there's this ladder. God's at the top and it's, Bottom is at the earth. That's what Jake saw. These angels ascending and descending. And he's like, wow, what a dream. Heard about a couple, they were dating. And, you know, the boyfriend woke up and he had this dream. So later that day, he and his girlfriend were having coffee. He said, baby, I had a dream last night. And she said, well, tell me about it. He said, okay, I will. He said, I dreamed that I went to a very exclusive jewelry store, bought you a giant diamond ring, and asked you to marry me. Then he looked at her and he said, what do you think that means? 
And she said, it means you have more sense when you're asleep than when you're awake. So I think we're going to find out that was true with Jacob as well. It's like he had more sense when he was asleep than when he was awake. God spoke to him through a dream. Now, some people say, wow, I have dreams and dreams must matter. And that's how God speaks to me today. Maybe. But you got to realize they didn't have the full Bible back then. And dreams can be funky. It's just like what you experience and what you feel. Now we have the authoritative word of God. We have a lot of people who can weigh in on it. So someone comes up to you or me and goes, hey, I had a dream that you were supposed to move to Tahiti and be a missionary. Well, you see what I'm saying to you? That, that, that can, I mean, you might have just had a, a bad you know, piece of sushi or something. It might not be God. But in this context, obviously, it was God. So again, he saw this ladder and, and the ladder had angels on it. Then look, look, look at what happened as he began to develop and get into this dream. Because, because look at verses 13 and 15. Above it, as I said, stood the Lord, verse 13. And then, and then God's saying, okay, I'll give you, Jacob, and your descendants the land which, which you're on right now. So what Ted DiBiase said. A lot of people can have an intellectual faith or an intellectual situation and they know about God, but, but they don't really know him personally. Jacob knew a lot about God. I mean, his father was Abraham. I mean, his grandfather was Abraham. His father was Isaac. Uh, that's, a, that's a pretty amazing spiritual heritage. But, you know, you, you, you can't have this relationship by osmosis. It can't be a secondhand faith. It has to be a personal faith. And here is when Jacob had that personal interaction, that personal faith with the Lord. This was his salvation experience. Because you see it with the personal pronouns. I mean, the last part of verse 15, God's saying, I'm with you. I'll watch over you. I'm omnipresent. And, and, and he has this, this connection with God. Now he's like, man, I know God. Isn't it something that in God's sovereignty that he still blessed Jacob? Isn't it amazing, even though Jacob stumbled and fumbled, God still blessed, God still reigns. And then God, here we see, reigned in his life because Jacob made that decision. I think about my life, the mistakes I've made. I think about, you know, the times I've fumbled the ball and how God orchestrates it all in his sovereignty. That means God reigns, God reigns. I remember several years ago, I wrote this book and it was pretty popular and Lisa and I got invited to a conference overseas, uh, kind of a book tour type thing. So the, the people that put the conference on flew us over on a 777, we were flying business class. It was great, we landed at Heathrow Airport. I'm on this 777 and I'm thinking, all right, all right. So we're going to London. We're landing, that's the destination, at Heathrow. You got a, got a pilot, uh, you got a co-pilot and a navigator. Awesome. Now we're behind them, so we can make all of these decisions, all of these choices. We can eat, we can sleep, we can read, we can talk to flight attendants, we can do whatever we want to do, really, within reason, but the plane has a predetermined destination. 
Heathrow Airport in London. I just described to you the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. God the Father is the pilot. God the Son is the co-pilot. God the Holy Spirit is the navigator. We're behind them and we have the freedom of choice to make any decision we want. There's gonna be consequences. I mean, if I wanted to, I could have had five desserts, but the consequences, you know? But I cannot rule God. When I try to rule, God always overrules. The plane is going to its predetermined destination. I have a choice. So the sovereignty of God and the free will of man, Jacob had an opportunity and he chose to follow the Lord. The sovereignty of God. God's like, I'll be with you. I love that because maybe I'm having an issue right now because all of us have issues, right? God though is sovereign. He's already shown up this Friday to take care of the issues I'll face on Friday. I don't understand it, but he's already there. The omnipresence of God. We don't realize the presence of God, so many of us. We don't understand it. I'm with you, he says. I'll watch over you. And, and then we, we keep on cruising down. Look at uh, Genesis chapter 28, verses 16 and 17. Now, 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 verse 16, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, whoa, he thought, man, wow, surely the Lord is in this place. Man, now, 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 I'm, now I'm glad he said that. And here's a sad line. I was not aware of it. He wasn't even aware of the presence of God. He goes, surely the Lord is here and I wasn't even aware of it. It's my prayer that when we attend Fellowship Church, that all of us will be keenly aware of the presence of God. But what keeps me up at night is that scores and scores of you will show up to Fellowship Church and you'll be like, God, I didn't feel him. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not really aware of him. Really, God? You mean God was in that place? If we could see as God sees, we'd see angels flying around. We would see all sorts of warfare happening. We would see ladders from your life and mine to heaven. Ladders matter. Jesus is the Lord of the ladder, we're going to find out. And, and he changes the name, I love this, after the dream from Luz. Remember, Luz means separation. Now he calls it Bethel. Bethel means house of God. So he was separate, and now, boom, house of God. You show me someone who genuinely gives their life to the Lord, and I'll show you somebody who has a burning, yearning desire for the house of God. He changed the name. And we're going to find out later, and, and please put this in your frontal lobe, that Jacob's name was changed. Remember last time I said he was the father of the 12 tribes of Israel? Jacob's name, which means deceiver, cheater, was changed to Israel. Now, I was part of a name change. Well, it's Sunday morning, and I've been up a little while. I think it's about 6 a.m. 
I like to get up early and study. This is our new addition, this cat, this little kitty. We, we found her yesterday. We were driving and she was crossing a freeway. She's like four months old. And we pulled over in this kind of sketchy area and picked her up. I'm not sure what her name was, but we named her Meow Meow after <laughs> Mr. Rogers' little puppet. So anyway, there's, there's a power and a name change. Meow Meow. <laughs> meow Meow. A name change. A name change from Luz to Bethel, from Jacob to Israel. Now, check out this supreme devotion. Skip over real quick. We're just flying now. We're flying now. Genesis 28, 20 through 22. Then Jacob made a vow after this dream, after this ladder. Okay, this is the first time someone makes a vow. He says, if God, read there in the Hebrew, since God, since God will be with me, I'm the presence of God, the sovereignty of God, and will watch over me, a personal relationship with God, on this journey. And don't you know he was feeling beforehand like insignificant and down in the dumps, and all of a sudden God's saying, I'm gonna bless you, my man. You matter to me. Your, your descendants will do this and that. I'm gonna protect you. So, so he talks about this journey that I'm taking you, and I'll give you food and eat and clothes to wear. So, and also too, he was facing 20 years of, of, of pretty hard labor. And that's a whole nother message, but he was. So, so it doesn't mean that just because you become a follower of Christ, everything's a primrose path. I think we, we, we all know that. So, did I return safely to my father's household? Uh, then the Lord will be my God. And the stone, oh, here we go, my pillow becomes a pillar, right? Did you, did you pick that up? The pillow becomes a pillar. Check this out. And this stone I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. Uh-oh. And of all that you give me, I will give you a what? Tenth. That's the tithe. First time tithe is mentioned. Um, second time. Second time tithe is mentioned in the Bible. Tithe. Tithe. This is the minimum requirement that, that God has for those of us who are sincere, committed followers before him. So that's what he says. God, you've given me all this. You're so amazing, God. You're sovereign, God. The least I can do is return 10% to you. So, so that's what happens. Hmm. But there's something more. This is not just an object when I talk about the ladder. If you, if you think it's just an object, you're missing the whole message. This ladder, we're going to find out, is a person. Because whenever you read Scripture, you better see Jesus. If you don't see Jesus, you're not reading Scripture. Because this story I just told you in Genesis 28 is a prophecy about who? Jesus. The ladder is our Lord. The ladder is our link. Because Jesus has this conversation and many times I've just skipped over it in John chapter one. I told you we'll hit John one. He's talking to Nathaniel and he goes in, in verse 47, hey, Nate, hey, Nate, um, um, wow, what's the deal? So he, he starts talking. When Jesus saw Nate approaching, he said to him, there's a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Okay, wait a minute, at deceit. In the Hebrew, deceit is what? Jacob. You see how he's playing 
with those words. So in the literal language, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no Jacob. Hmm. Say hmm with me. Hmm, yeah, because it's going to get very, very hmm. Yeah, it is. That's pretty good. Very, very hmm. Okay. How do you know me? Nate asked. Jesus said, I saw you when you were under a fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nate declared, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You'll see greater things than that. Now, here is the verse that will knock your socks off. It'll blow your hair back. You ready for this? John chapter one, verse 51. Then he added, kind of casually, this is Jesus. Truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open. Let's read it together. And the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Oh my goodness gracious, are you feeling me? Who is the latter? In Genesis 28, he was up in the clouds. Now in John 1, he's at the bottom. The Lord came from the top to the bottom to bring us from the bottom to the top. He came from there to here to bring us from here to there. Jesus is the ladder. The ladder matters. If you're a follower of Christ, there's a ladder from your life to the heavenlies. And the ladder is Jesus. The angels are ascending and descending. Wherever you go, there's the ladder. Wherever you go, it's our link between heaven and earth. Jesus is the link. What did the million dollar man say, Ted DiBiase? Every man has a price. We do. I do, you do. The son of God who died on the cross for our sins. The link between heaven and earth, the ladder. And the ladder is right there before you. The placement, the ladder, the payload. He took your sins and mine. The purpose, it starts now and forever and ever. Are you in a wrestling match? A ladder match? Are you climbing and climbing and climbing? Pleasure? Once I get to that top, fame, once I get to that rung, the more monster, once I get more and more and more, when you get there, without the Lord, you're gonna find out the ladder is leaning against the wrong wall. There's only one ladder. His name is Jesus. Do you know him? Do you know him? Because in God's sovereignty, he's given you a choice. And I pray that you make that decision to follow 
our ladder. Because the ladder matters. Thank you for listening, and thanks to all who give so generously to this ministry. It's because of you that we can continue this show and equip people with the hope of heaven. You can click the link in the description to support the show or visit edyoung.com. There you can also be resourced with bonus content for free, including a daily devotional. We also encourage you to share the message today with those around you. Thank you again for listening. God bless.